0: Welcome to the Modern Reformation, yeah. The Bar, biblical and reformed. Welcome, everybody, to The Bar. It's your boy, Dwayne in the building, right back in here another Tuesday. Super excited, as always, be coming through your speakers, through your earbuds, wherever you listen to The Bar. We're grateful that you're listening. And I love to start every show the same way, man. First of all, by thanking the listeners. Thank you guys for listening to The Bar, tuning in to The Bar. We really appreciate you guys supporting us going in this game about three uh about say three years six years now um and i'm just excited to uh, be able to come to you bring you awesome guests bring you resources and today is another awesome guest been knowing him for a while um and actually surprised it took this long to get him on the show but i have on none other than my brother joel how you doing man
1: i'm doing well thanks for having me on Dwayne.
0: hey bro it's definitely my pleasure um we've like i said we've been working together uh Kind of like behind the scenes for a while yep. uh, with some other projects, man. So I always like to kind of start off by giving an opportunity to introduce yourself, uh, share anything you want to share personal or the professional side, and we'll go from there. Great.
1: Yeah. My name is uh, Joel Webin. I am uh, first and foremost, a father of Jesus. Secondly, I am the husband of Megan Webin. I'm also the father of four children, um, three that have been born and one in the womb olive and ruth and eleanor and i'm just assuming uh, that the fourth is going to be a girl once you've had three girls and zero boys you just kind of give up all hope of having a boy but i like being a daddy of girls and so uh any father who has multiple daughters uh, has a decent retirement plan Uh, sons grown sons i think kind of forget about their parents i think (laughs) the grown daughters do a little bit better of that honoring of their father and mother and so um anyway so i'm a proud father And then after that, I'm a local pastor. That would be my next priority of uh, vocation. Local pastor of a church called Covenant Bible Church in Williamson County, Texas. We meet in a a small town called Georgetown. It's about 45 minutes north of Austin. So close enough to have some economic opportunity as well as spiritual opportunity, evangelism, ministry. uh, But far enough away to where, Lord willing, our police won't be defunded and have a little bit of those conservative Uh, protections of Williamson County, as well as some of the conservative uh, benefits that come from being in the state of Texas. So glad to be there. And then lastly, uh, Right Response Ministries. That would be on my list of priorities. It's father of Jesus, husband of Megan, father of Olive and Ruth and Eleanor, and a fourth on the way, and then local pastor of Covenant Bible Church, and then lastly, president of Right Response Ministries, which is what most people know me from, um and it's valuable and important to me, but it would be uh the last on my list of priorities and the things that God has called me to.
0: I love it, man. I love it. You you don't know, you bless me. Uh you don't even know it, man. I got three girls, um, uh, but I do uh, have one son. So Oh, uh, all right. Maybe I'll get a maybe my fourth will be a boy. Just just, you know, you a little little help, but but the 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 health care uh thing, the the long term <laughs> I never thought never thought about that, man. Girls, yeah. they do take <laughs> care, so yeah. I feel really good. I feel really good about it now. Yeah. That's that's pretty awesome, bro. Like, I love that, man. Um, and and you know, we're actually with this conversation, I think we're gonna be able to touch on quite a few things that'll be beneficial to my listeners. One thing I always tell uh gas uh guests that are on my show that actually are in ministry is probably 70 80 percent of the listeners are local pastors to the bar podcast. Right. It's a common place for local pastors. We actually do a local pastor spotlight so i'm gonna start there in my questioning and then we'll work towards uh right response and anything else you have going on uh, so with the local pastor thing i'll uh, just kind of give us a, a a kind of a timeline of that experience because you know a lot of people you know either they want to be a church plant or they're in seminary just kind of get walk us through uh god's providence in and you being a local pastor
1: yeah um so i uh, my dad was a pastor and uh, he recently retired. So I grew up in the church. I grew up as a pastor's kid. Um, my dad was growing up, he was um, kind of Pentecostal, um, believing in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a subsequent event to conversion with the evidence of speaking in tongues, uh, which I have since uh, rejected uh, that doctrine. Um, and I think my dad has, has partially rejected that. I think he would now say that um, that. Each believer receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the point of conversion, and there could be any number of spiritual gifts as a sign or evidence of that baptism of the Holy Spirit at conversion, um, kind of like a third wave charismatic position. That would be like your your Wayne Grudem's, your John Piper's, your Sam Storm's. Um, and so uh, anyways, grew up Pentecostal. Uh, by the time I was in high school, my dad became Vineyard and had kind of moved into that third wave charismatic movement, um, and I was right there with him, and so I would have identified as being Vineyard because I was in high school and under my father's roof and his church, and I believed what, what he believed, and um, thoroughly orthodox in his doctrine and, and um, well within the banner of Christian orthodoxy. Uh, when I went to school, I went to Dallas. Um, I went to First Christ for the Nations and really got a bad taste in my mouth for charismatic doctrine and prosperity gospel. and I remember, you know, they had, uh, they would have gladly had Benny Hinn come, you know, as a guest speaker, but they couldn't get Benny Hinn. He was too big, you know, so they got his brother, Henry Hinn, he who's costing mm-hmm. his dad. Yep. And I remember, you know, listening to him, uh, he was supposed to, he was scheduled to speak for uh, 45 minutes. He spoke for um, three and a half hours and uh, we all had to sit there he uh, mocked the staff um, at Christ for the Nations for not having enough faith and all, all these other things and so, um, really, just a, a terrible example of what it means to be Christian. What it means to believe the Bible, and uh, there are multiple things I had professors teach that you know that you would um, that if a person had enough faith, they could live like literally live forever and would never die. De- death is you know the result of sickness, and sickness is a result of a lack of faith, you know, or secret sin. So all those kinds of things, um, they certainly believed you could lose your salvation at the drop of a hat. So no security of the believer, no sovereignty in salvation. Um, election is really just, uh, well, they would, they would explain election the way that most Christians would today, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, well, God in his omniscience looks through the quarter of time and he sees the future, you know, and who's going mm-hmm. to choose him. And then based off of that knowledge of who's going to choose him, God, you know, kind of cheats by using a time loop and then goes back before the foundations of the world choosing those who he knew would choose him. So God's choice is not actually unconditional election. It's conditional election, and it's not even election. It's God electing man based off of man first electing God, yep. um, you know, just in a future moment. And so all those kinds of things uh, were kind of the background of my theology. I did two years at Christ for the Nations, then went to Dallas Baptist University, which uh, I believe Costi went there too, and he played baseball for DBU and, um, and so I went there and wasn't really involved in campus life or chapel or anything, just kind of taking my classes. Uh, but at the time, I was going to Jack Deere's church. Jack Deere was uh, pastoring a church in Bedford, which was maybe 20, 30 minutes away from the university, DBU. And uh, and that's where I really started hearing the gospel preached faithfully. Um, I continued to evolve in my doctrine and would disagree with Jack Deere. and a number of things, but he did preach the gospel faithfully. For those who aren't familiar, Jack Deere was um, most known for his book, Surprised by the Voice of God and Surprised by the Holy Spirit. He also wrote a book called The Beginner's Guide to Prophecy, which is in this Beginner's Guide series um, uh, that Sam Storms, he wrote The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, and Jack Deere wrote the Beginner's Guide to Prophecy. Jack Deere was one of the guys who um, helped Wayne Grudem, you know, by looking over his systematic theology before Wayne Grudem published that. So he's friends with Sam Storms, friends with Matt Chandler would be another guy. And Jack Deere, you know, would uh, at least recently has done some some things with conferences. So Sam Storms, Wayne Grudem, Jack Deere. Uh, so in that kind of vein, um, Calvinist, um, gospel preaching, uh, biblically sound for the most part, but still a continuationist, a a um, measured continuationist but continuationist nonetheless and uh, after that I moved I was 23 years old single and uh, moved to California with three of my college roommates to go and plant a church uh, in San Diego California our mindset at the time was just hey you know Texas has a lot of churches already Dallas is kind of the jewel on the buckle of the bible belt and, uh, and so you know we wanted to go somewhere that seemed like maybe there was more work to be done more people unbelievers uh, to be reached for christ uh, i was still vineyard at the time still kind of in that jack deer vein um, and so uh, applied with the vineyard to be approved as a church planter i didn't know much about church planting but i knew that uh, somebody needed to give me permission that um, <laughs> i couldn't kind of just set out on my own so i did that and uh, i was approved by the vineyard to go and plant a church In hindsight, I think the vineyard made a uh, horrible mistake. Um, I I don't really think uh, many, if any at all, 23-year-old single males should be planting churches. So I moved to California, um, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and, uh, uh, well, just very naive and uh, was not ready to be a pastor. And so I I would look back now and I would say that I I wasn't qualified to to pastor a church in God's um, merciful providence. He didn't really allow me to pastor a church because we weren't really able to get anything off the ground. I led a glorified Bible study for two years in my apartment, and you know, taught through books of the Bible. I was a Calvinist by that point, um, but still uh, pretty pretty strong on continuationism, and um, and still kind of I don't know making up my mind about complementarianism versus egalitarianism, and so just still very. Um, not not quite completely sharpened in my theology, and right. so for a couple of years, I uh, just did the Bible study thing. Then we, you know, started meeting in a little music venue on Sunday nights uh, in Ocean Beach, San Diego, and uh, and you know, it was all young singles, and still really wasn't qualified. Still really, you know, needed to work on my doctrine, um, my ability to teach, according to First Timothy three, Titus one. And also need to grow my character. Um, and so, you know, but I had this, I don't know, this this illusion that I was qualified because somebody told me that I was. Mm. Um, you know, and so I felt like, well, yeah, I've got problems, but everybody has problems. I didn't really fully understand the qualifications for eldership. Um, but by God's grace, another couple of years went by. God continued to shape me. Uh, we ended up leaving the vineyard. I ended up... Um, Adopting cessationism um, as, as my, my view on the gifts of the Spirit, that tongues uh, were revelatory and not just a private prayer language, um, but uh, was a revelatory gift and prophecy, a revelatory gift, and that revelation was done, that we had received uh, God's revelation, uh, that he had spoken to us in many ways and at many times to our forefathers. But in these final days, he has spoken to us by his son, who is the exact imprint of the Father's nature, the fullness, right. of the radiance, the glory of God, and
0: So, just not- to break in right here, did was there an aha moment, or like a, I'm tired of this moment? Because for me, because I, I I had a like, you know what, this stuff ain't working. I had one of those moments. So just just pausing you there to see if there was something there.
1: Yeah, Um, you know, I I think that. The, the New Testament prophecy. So that's part of the problem is that they would they would say, well, the nature of prophecy, the prophetic gift, has changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and by in, you know exegeting in this idea of a, a a new form of prophecy, they're able to nuance New Testament prophecy in such a way um, mm-hmm. that it, it becomes so anemic and and so vague that you you for me, I didn't experiment experientially ever. Um, have a moment where I was like, "This is, you know, this is fake. This is phony." Um, because fake and phony—I wouldn't have used those words at the time—but fake and phony are, you know, part and parcel of the definition of New Testament prophecy. New Testament <laughs> prophecy is fake and phony. You know, it's it's supposed to be vague, it's ambiguous, it's always encouraging, right? right. Because you know, First Corinthians fourteen, you know, the you know, prophecy is for the uplifting and the edifying. The, so basically, New Testament prophecy is a vague compliment wrapped in spiritual language mm. that's the you know that's basically the definition you compliment somebody in a mysterious vague ambiguous way and call it prophecy and so because of that because of the nature the way they've they've first they bifurcated and, and created this second you know this second tier second form of prophecy new testament prophecy and then the way that they've defined it um in the third wave position is is so vague and so positive it's not just that it's vague but it's positive it's so positive uh that you rarely get any pushback so as you are mm-hmm. exercising your prophetic gift you're only you i mean the, the guidelines are it has to be positive and and so everything that you're saying is positive so very rarely do you have someone who says well I disagree or I don't like, you know, they usually just smile and say, yeah, that's so you just told me that the prophetic word is that God has a really special plan for my life and I'm the most amazing person in the world. Like nobody pushes back on that. They're like, man, you nailed it. That that was a prophetic word. That's I, that, yeah, that was the voice <laughs> of God for sure. You know, so you're right. constantly being reaffirmed in right. this prophetic gifting because every everything that you're saying is precisely what people want to hear, which. Ironically, the word of God would have some things to say about that, specifically in regards to prophecy, right? The, yeah. the prophets who say, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Right. You know, is the prophets who were true prophets of the Lord are usually the ones who people wanted to kill. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, I, I think of, you know, um, one of the kings of Israel, you know, who said, I, I don't like that. Are there any other prophets? You know, one of the guys asked, and he's like, Yeah, there is one other guy, but. Um, I, I don't want to hear his prophecies because right. he never had anything good to say. <laughs> you know, so, so anyway, so I think you know I didn't have an aha moment in terms of experience because I never had pushback because prophecy was it was so nuanced and so strategically designed by the third wave camp to where it would never receive pushback. So so you to gotcha. really have those kind of moments. So for me, it was more of a um, not exper- sper- experientially, but it, it was um, exegetically mm-hmm. um, the, the big aha moment for me exegetically was um coming to understand the difference between the order of salvation and the history of salvation the order mm-hmm. of salutis versus the you know the history of salvation or history mm-hmm. of redemption um and so i always thought in terms of like order of salvation you know for there would be more steps in this but to make it simple you know there's conversion or justification and then you know sanctification uh, glorification Those kinds of things, and and in there, in my kind of um, charismatic viewpoint, it would be you know there's there's justification, and with that comes the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and with that comes like this you know this Pentecost moment and Mm -hmm. the gift Mm -hmm. of tongues. Um, Whereas now I would look at that and I would say no, Pentecost doesn't belong to the order of salvation, right? This the 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 logical and in some cases chronological sequence in which God saves an individual, um, but rather Pentecost, it doesn't belong to that, the order of salvation. It belongs to the history of salvation, which is um, the, the the sequence of what God accomplished through Jesus Christ, his son. Right. So so it's, you know, like in, in those terms, it's, you know, uh, all about Jesus. It's incarnation, it's life, it's, it's death, crucifixion, it's resurrection, it's ascension, and then it's pouring out the spirit, the, the spirit proceeding from the father and the son. So the son had to be crucified, resurrected, ascended, glorified, seated at the right hand of the Father, and then sends the Holy Spirit. He promises the disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you, and I will send to you a helper, an advocate. So the Christian has two advocates, one with the Father, Christ Jesus himself, and then one with us, the Holy Spirit, who Christ, the Father, and and the Son have sent to us. And so when I understood Pentecost in those terms, that Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit being poured out upon people in power for being Christ's witness um, and being given tongues in order to expand that witness to every tribe, tongue, and language, and that being a specific event in the history of the church, in the history of redemption, rather than um, an event that happens in, in the order of salvation for each individual person. Uh, that was kind of my light bulb moment.
0: Here. Wow, that's dope. And look, like, so, Joe, you, I, I know you probably heard this, man, but you, you are really good at, like, breaking stuff down and teaching. So I, that's actually going to cause me to fast forward to uh, <laughs> Right Response, because I think that has uh, some some sort of a tie there, man. Just tell my listeners about Right Response, uh, what inspired that, um, and some of the, you know, materials and all of that. And we'll do that before the break, and then uh, we'll get out of here.
1: All right, cool. Um, so, r- real quick, just th- w- with the pastor thing, just just speeding ahead, you know, I I became cessationist and and with that left the venue, became an Acts twenty nine pastor in two thousand fourteen, joined Acts twenty nine, and then it was Acts twenty nine for about four years or so, four and a half years, and decided to end up leaving Acts twenty nine. Also, um, just with some strong differences in terms of uh, social justice. I I would be against social justice. I was against um, Wokeology and some of those things that like Eric Mason wrote Woke Church. I wasn't a fan of that. So ended up leaving Acts 29 um, about the end of 2018. So anyways, the progression was, you know, growing up Pentecostal, then being vineyard, kind of third wave charismatic, Jack Deere, Wayne Grudem, planting as a vineyard pastor before I was ready, by God's grace, shaping my doctrine and my character, becoming actually qualified as a minister, uh, then becoming cessationist, and then joining Acts 29, and then, because of, of social and cultural issues and, and social justice, leaving Acts 29, and then becoming Reformed Baptist. Um, so it's kind of like all these C words. I call you know, the C word <laughs> cessationism. <laughs> so it's like cessationism, Calvinism, complementarianism, and then you get into the realm of church polity, uh, congregation. Are you elder rule? Or are you... Elder-led with a congregational mm-hmm. element, in the congregation voting, and so it's like I was doing theology all a cart my whole life, which is exhausting, by the way. Right, you come to a new text or a new topic, a new doctrine. And what do we mm-hmm. think about this? Well, what does MacArthur say? What does Sproul say? What you know? And it's like you're going all a carte. It's like you're you're reinventing the wheel, essentially. Um, you know, and uh, and so finally I realized, oh, I don't have to do theology all a cart. I can just um, I can just be. The big C, right? There's Calvinism, complementarianism, cessationism. But, but the big C um, that I never saw before was confessionalism. Um, why don't I just be confessional? Why don't I adopt a historic tried and true confession um, that was forged by not just one individual, like MacArthur, God bless him, you know, or Sproul. Got, but like, well, Sproul was confessional. Uh, but, but it was uh, concocted by several men and is centuries old and has stood the test of time. And so I became 1689 uh, London Baptist, uh, Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. Adopted that um, in 2000, beginning of 2019, and then 2020 hit, and um, and moved to Texas. Um, a lot of that being being because of uh, my family's in Texas, and I have kids. You know, the simple answer when people say why do you leave California, I say I have kids and I love them. Uh, that's <laughs> the answer. Uh, but, but the big thing was, you know, what got me to California was this mindset of, I want to save the lost and I never want to do le- less than that. Um, but I want to do more than that. And so as my theology evolved, um, eschatology became a part of the, a piece of the puzzle. So like post-millennialism, um, I started thinking in terms of, all right, well, if, if Jesus is coming back in 10 years, you know, and, and all we really do of eternal value is plant churches and make disciples. Well, then let's just, you know, like, let's snatch souls from the fire and let's go with the fires, the hottest, you know, so I'll, I'll go to California. Now, I still was hypocritical even with that, because if I follow that logic all the way through, then I should have been a missionary in North Korea. You know, But <laughs> right. I settled for California, um, you know, but the, my mind began to change and thinking that, you know, that, yes, we want to plant churches and yes, we want to make disciples. But I started adopting and embracing this idea of all of Christ for all of life and the marketplace and politics and culture and all this kykerean kind of mindset that i'm uh, not to kingdom it's not just the church you know in the kingdom of god and the kingdom of the world and god doesn't really care about that but god is actually restoring he's making all things new and christ is currently king uh, not just savior and 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 i move from this private lordship that, that jesus is lord of my heart my my sweet little heart to jesus is lord of all and and he wants it all and and that he is using his church as the battering ram up against the gates of hell. That hell's actually on the defense, so it's not just the church, you know, up on the ropes taking the blows of, of, of Satan, but Jesus will hold us up. No, hell is the gates; hell is on the defense, and the church is the battering ram of Christ, and it's taking over everything, and hell won't be able to withstand it. So, as I adopted pre, uh, uh, moved from pre-mail to all male and then eventually post-mail. And then, as I moved from a two kingdom theology mindset, which I don't have time to go into more of that, but to a Kyperian mindset, uh, moved from dispensationalism into covenant theology and other C word and adopted this big broad banner of confessional theology and adopted that, you know, the post male eschatology of the Puritans and Jonathan Edwards and R.C. Sproul, for that matter, and, and started listening to guys like Doug Wilson, as controversial as he is, I really began to love Doug Wilson. Um, then I just started realizing, okay, well, now I'm thinking in terms of not not the next 10 years, but the next 500 years. I never thought about, in terms of loving my neighbors, I never thought about loving my great-grandchildren as my neighbors and realizing mm-hmm. the only link I have to my great-grandchildren, who I likely will not ever see in this life, but I can actually love them by the way I set up my children, who will be their grandparents right now. Mm-hmm. So do I want to set them up in California or do I want to set them up in Texas? Do I want to... Uh, leave a good man, a wise man, leaves an inheritance for his children's children, and I think that inheritance can be nothing less than a spiritual inheritance. But I would argue it is, in fact, more. It is spiritual, but I think it's also um, a wise man plans for the financial futures of his grandchildren. You know, and so so when I started thinking long term, and I started thinking about we want to take over the whole world, then all of a sudden I had this category that I never had before—a category of of a tactical a momentary tactical retreat from a place like california um retreating from one battle for for a temporary period of time so that we might ultimately win the war i started thinking you know like because before the only category i had for leaving california was giving up i'm just giving Mm. up i'm going to texas to preach to the choir i'm going to you know I'm, (laughs) i'm just going for something easier but when i started thinking long term and started thinking you know, if Christians retreat from from battlegrounds where where it seems like we've lost to go to contested places like Texas, which is not deep red, it's, it's a little purple. Austin is not helping us out. But if, if we go to you know, these contested areas and we can get re- Christian reinforcements and win, um, then, then one day we, we can send our children's children back into places like California and, and win the world. And so anyways, some of those are matters of conscience, but, but ultimately my theology shaped those things. And so I wound up at the end of 2020, um, moving to Texas and planting a new church. We had uh, seven other households move with us from the church in California. And now we have, you know, it's, it's only been about a year, but now we have about, about 30 to 40 adults and 30 to 40 children. We're family integrated. We're reformed Baptist. Uh, independent church, covenant Bible church, and so that's the whole pastor thing. The right response thing was just basically what um, is just the overflow of my pastoral ministry. That as a pastor, I was preaching, and and I thought, all right, I you know I always had the mindset of work smarter, not harder. So it's like, how can I get more more mileage? How can I get more bang for buck? Instead of starting another thing, how can I take the things that God's already called me to do and and just steward them well, and get as much effect for for the sake of Christ and His kingdom as possible. So it's like I'm writing a sermon every single week, you know, and I'm doing that, you know, hell or high water, you know, it, Sunday's always coming. Um, so so why not take that sermon and record, it, you know, and then and then it became like, all right, well, and and let's not just put it on one platform, but all these different you know platforms. And then it became, well, instead of just dropping a weekly sermon, what if I dropped a weekly sermon and then I also Took, you know, an hour and a half and clipped up, got like five clips out of that sermon and gave them unique, catchy titles and descriptions. And I launched these, you know, bite sized three to five minute clips of the sermon. You know, I started doing that and the Lord just blessed it. And then, you know, and then, uh, you know, I started, you know, turning my, my sermon, you know, manuscripts into a blog. So now instead of just a sermon, I've got a weekly blog, a weekly sermon online, and then five clips that people are clicking on. And, and then, you know, I, I thought, well, what if I just did a podcast, you know, just one, just one weekly podcast, and then started clipping that up, and then taking notes from the podcast, and you turn those into blogs, and all, all these kinds of things. And as the Lord just continued to bless that, uh, I, you know, eventually came to a point, me and my elders, when I was still in California, but right, towards the end, uh, came to a point that, you know, we decided... You know, it seems as though like this is in many ways the overflow of, of my church ministry, my pastoral ministry, but um, it's reaching, you know, far more people than simply the members of my church. And, and if it wasn't just, you know, um, just the, the, um, the far reaching arm, the social media arm of the church, if it became its own bifurcated ministry, um, then, then it might appeal to even more people. And so, you know, so think like R.C. Sproul. It's like you've got St. Andrews and you've got Ligonier, right? It could just be St. Andrews and then all of St. Andrews, you know, social media, online ministry. But right. for some reason, you know, Sproul found it beneficial and advantageous to bifurcate those two roles. To say there's, you know, there's my, my church ministry and then there's this other, you know, ministry, li- namely Ligonier. John Piper, who I've been a little bit frustrated with as of late, but John Piper, nonetheless, God's used him in my life in the past. Uh, same kind of thing, you know. It's like you've got Bethlehem Baptist, desiring God, you know. Right. And we could go on and on with examples, you know, of guys who they have a local church, and and I think there's multiple reasons for doing that, but but one reason is I think it, it just um, it it by it not just being the social media ministry of a church. Um, it allows you to one incorporate other people in. You can get other bring other players to the game, other contributors, other other writers, other podcasters, things like that. Like what you've done with the bar, creating a network. Um, and then two, um, it it it's what by not just being the extension of a local church, I think it um, appeals to just a larger audience. And so anyway, so that was kind of an evolution and process of at first it's just I just want to preach to my local church, and then secondly it's like. Okay, my local church is always a priority, but what if I record these sermons so that other people can hear them? And then it's like, well, some people won't listen to an hour sermon, but they'll listen to a three-minute clip, and, and it just gravitated more and more from that. And then it eventually, you know, got to the point where it's like, hey, if these were two separate things with two separate budgets, you know, and two separate this and that, um, then you know, then then maybe we could reach even more. And so, right response came out of that.
0: Cool deal, man. Love it. I love it. And uh we mentioned um whenever me and you connected earlier how uh I feel like you just stole my playbook when it comes to podcasting because uh, you know, everything you mentioned is the same advice I give a lot of pastors, you know, that, you know, already write sermons, already, you know, record that audio, you know, and turn it into multiple, uh multiple uh, I guess pieces of content, um, uh, which is really cool, man. So definitely appreciate you uh mentioning that and Maybe that inspires some more guys that are listening, man, to just uh, not just limit uh, their exposure or their their ways or means to get out the gospel to just their sermon on Sunday, which not saying there's anything bad or wrong with that. That's definitely important. But, you know, other ways to uh, to get the message out, man. So let me hit yep. you with the three signature questions, man, and um, we'll get out of here. So the first signature bar question is what kind of music do you listen to?
1: I don't. I I. I, uh, for me, it's like any time that I have time to listen to something. Um, I just feel like I've got to use that time to listen to a podcast, a sermon or an audio book. So, uh, I'm usually listening to, you know, like right now I'm listening to the bruised read by uh, Richard Sibbs. So the only, only time that I like will listen. So if I'm in the car, it's, uh, it's going to be some kind of audio content, um, like a book or a podcast or a sermon. If I'm at home, you know, and doing something, it's going to, if I'm in the shower, it's constantly listening to content. So the only time I listen to music is uh, with my girls, which means that, you know, (laughs) I'm listening to their favorite musical artists, which I couldn't even name them. Their mom knows all the names, but it's, you know, (laughs) like just Christian kids' songs. There's like some Reformed Baptist group that's taken like Keach's Catechism, which is like a Reformed Baptist catechism, and put it into music. Um, there's one other group that's not not exclusively for kids, but um, they 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 basically are going like systematically one by one through the Psalter, and and yeah. but going like word for word, taking Psalms and putting to music. You you may know yeah. who they are. I I don't, I don't know their name. Can't remember. Um, yeah,
0: they get it from your wife, and you gotta send me that man for my yeah. girls. I definitely want my, to get that.
1: My Soul Among Lions, I think, is one group that that writes you know takes Psalms and puts them into songs.
0: I have no idea. So, but that's I all need I got that. for
1: your music. <laughs> okay, that's
0: cool. No, that's, that's cool. You're, you're not the only person. A lot of, a lot of guys don't. Um, all right, so next signature bar question is, what book or books are you currently reading?
1: Yeah, so right now I'm doing the Richard Sibbes, uh, the Bruce Reed, which is really important. Um, it, you know, the brief synopsis of that is uh, basically, you know, there's a difference between a false convert and a weak convert. And, um, and so, you know, the minister, who in many ways um, is standing in for Christ, he, of course, he is not Christ in a one-to-one ratio, um, but he is representing Christ to the people as an under-shepherd of the chief shepherd. Um, Christ, you know, Christ I- expels false converts, uh, but Christ welcomes in weak converts. And so, uh, you know, bruised reed. Uh, he will not snuff out, you know, or despise, uh, or I'm sorry, a a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out a bruised reed, he will not break or despise. So Christ is um, tender and merciful towards those who are weak. And yet he has a sharp polemic towards those who claim to be strong, but are false. And so for me, that uh, the bruised reed, um, that, that kind of that, that concept has been really helpful, because I think in a, in a you know like you got like american gospel and you got all these kind of things that i thank god for i think are really helpful um but i think in some ways it's like christianity evangelicalism in america it's been there's been so much easy believism that if we're not careful sometimes the pendulum you know we can overcompensate you know we can go yep. too far uh to where you know like it's like well we don't you know we we don't want to give people a sense of false assurance and I think that has been a major theme from guys like Paul Washer, you know, a guy, you know, like that's been a major theme for a couple of decades in this kind of re- reformed movement over the last 20 years or so is, um, man, a bunch of people think they're going to heaven who aren't. And that's true. There are a lot of false converts. Um, but in that, as I've grown up as a, as a pastor and just as a follower of Jesus, I've started to realize that um, there is something to be said, you know, Jesus, his disciples said, you know, You know, it's like um, where he tells the parable of the servants who, you know, an enemy of their master sowed bad seed in the field overnight and tares grew up alongside the wheat. And the servants say to the master, um, send us into the field and we'll uproot the tares. And the master says, no, um, because if you uproot the tares, you're going to damage the wheat. So rather let them grow up alongside one another until they're fully matured, fully grown. And then when you harvest the wheat at the time of harvest, then you can separate uh, the tares to be burned and the wheat to be stored in the barn. And uh, and that's the idea of, you know, the false convert would be the tear, But the weak convert would be that that not fully grown stalk of wheat that, that might be mistaken for a tare or as you're trying to uproot the tare, you know, with a sharp sermon about the dangers of false assurance, um, you know, trying to, you know you know expel the false converts or by god's grace hopefully convert the false converts you know you don't mean to but but in one foul swoop you're you're sharply addressing false converts but you're also discouraging weak converts right and uh and a lot of the puritans you read their testimonies whether it be john bunyan you know for the first seven years of his life thought he was going to hell wrestled with assurance of salvation richard Sivs would be another example a lot of the Puritans. You know, I, I forget which one it was. It might have been Sims. It might have been, might have been somebody, somebody else. Thomas Goodwin. Might have been Goodwin. Um, but he said, you know, for the um, for the first several years of my ministry, I did little more than batter the consciences of weak men. And uh, and I think for me coming into Reformed theology and being a big fan of you know the heavy hitters who preach the heavy sermons, um, I wanted to be like them. I look back now and I think, you know, for much of my ministry, I think I, I battered the consciences of weak men. Uh, I, you know, um, you know, I was uprooting tares left and right, but I think I, think I, I, I probably damaged some wheat in the process. So by God's grace, um, you know, reading the Puritans who were all about purifying the church and getting rid of tares. And yet at the same time, the Puritans, I think, struck a really good balance between not offering false assurance and yet at the same time being tenderly towards the weak convert. So anyways, I would, I would recommend any of the Puritans, the bruise read would be a good one. Thomas Goodwin, um, the, uh, the heart of Christ in heaven for sinners, miserable sinners on earth. Um, that is uh, one that I just finished. Thomas Watson, um, the 10 commandments I just finished. Um, all these are, are in the last like three months or so. And then last year, 2020, the beginning of the year, I read, um, went back through the Narnia series, went back through Tolkien's uh the Lord of the Rings series. And so I think I think it's good to have like some some Christian fiction.
0: For sure. For sure. You definitely need a good balance there. So the last question you actually kind of answered um somewhat or indirectly is what podcasts or sermons do you listen to?
1: Yeah. So as as much as you can, you can find like manuscripts from Puritans, uh Puritan sermons that are read by somebody else. You can do that with Spurgeon. Those things are super helpful. Um but these days, in terms of podcasts, um, Blog and May Blog by Doug Wilson is, I think, always on point. Um, just the right of offensiveness, I think, the right amount. Um, <laughs> so, so that's always uh, been really helpful, Blog and May Blog, I think. Um, I like Jeff, Jeff Durbin. Um, I think he's good with Apologia. Um, but I, I would say, I would say Doug Wilson is probably my favorite blog, may blog. He, he also has the podcast. So those are really good podcasts. Um, beyond that, I would say, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, sermons, preachers, cause I think the podcast podcasts are so helpful, but, um, but it, it's not the same podcast. The thing about podcasts that you have to be careful with just thinking would be an exception to this. But with most podcasts, um, what you're going to get is is quick little one liners quips, you know, uh, that are that, that may be true, uh, but they don't flesh out an argument necessarily all the way. So so they'll they'll give you the right position right, if you're listening to the faithful podcast so they give you the right position that you should take. Um, but but they they you won't necessarily be able to defend the position you need. You need books for that. You need sermons um, for that, it, you know, a sermon would t- exposit one text and just flesh it out more and more and more and more. So anyway, so p- podcasts are super, super helpful. I think, you know, for cultural commentary or like practical, you know, practical things. Um, but for deep theological work, I think, you know, sermons and books are super helpful books. I've already said sermons. I, I don't know. I, I, I would just listen to old, old dead guys. R.C. Pro, I mean, is great, like renewing your mind and things like that. Um, is really great. But, um, but then, you know, again, I have to say just thinking would be one of the only ex- uh, exceptions that I could think of that, like just thinking, I think in many ways is like you listen to just thinking and it's kind of like, you know, like listening to a dissertation. So I, I would, I got to give, you know, Daryl Harrison, especially, but also Virgil uh, props for that, because I think they're one of the few exceptions where it's like, if you want to, you know, you listen to a lot of guys and and come away and be like, "Yeah, CRT is bad," um, mm-hmm. but not even know what CRT is. You know, right. and uh, but if you listen to Just Thinking, you'll you'll know what it is, yep. where it came from. You'll know who James Cone is. You know, Black Liberation Theology. You'll you'll know the whole history of it. You'll know all the argumentation from it. You'll know about Marx. You'll know about so. Anyways, I would say podcasts are great, um, but you got to get sermons. You got to get books. Mm-hmm except in the case of just thinking, I think you get it all. So that's, yep. so just thinking would be one of the podcasts that I like.
0: Totally agree. Totally agree with that. Um, those guys, they, they put in a lot of work. Um, yeah, they do. I, I, I watch them. Uh, I'm in their text message thread sometimes out of torture, but they put in a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, they do. So yeah. Um, listen, bro, listen, I really appreciate uh, you coming on, sharing your, your time with us. Um, before we get out, man, two things, um, let everybody know where to find uh right response and, and all of that good stuff. And then any, uh, words of encouragement as we close.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Well, thank you. Thank you again for having me on Dwayne. I really appreciate it. It's been great getting to know you. Um, I like what you do. I think the bar network is just, it, you're creative and strategic. And it seems like you're one of those guys who's um, going to get as much mileage as you possibly can. You're taking what God gave you, you know, you're not burying it in the sand and you're going to get dividends and dividends and dividends. And I think some guys that, you know, they think that, um, you know, unless they're R.C. Sproul and just have a Titan intellect, you know, and, you know, study theology in Holland, you know, and speak Dutch mm-hmm. and all this kind of, then, you know, then they, you know, th- they're not going to do much for the kingdom um, and intellect and knowledge are, are vital. But there is something to be said for taking whatever the Lord has given you, and um, and just and just reproducing it, reproducing it, re- and getting it out again and again and again. And I think that's something that uh, you've done really well. So, and I and I've learned some of those things by watching guys like you. Fight Laugh, Feast would be another network that I've learned from um, the Bar Network. So, anyway, so all that being said, yeah, I really appreciate it, and uh, you having me on the show, and I. Uh, you know, in terms of finding Right Response, uh, you, you can go to our app. We've got a free app you can download. So you can do the Right Response app, you know, in your app store. Uh, most people seem to follow us on YouTube. So Right Response uh, Ministries on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. I don't really do Twitter. Um, just, I just don't like that. Yeah, we talked the, about the, that. Yeah, <laughs> so. I don't do Twitter. But, you know, Facebook, Instagram, um, our website, RightResponseMinistries.com. Uh, but the app, I think, is really user-friendly. It's free, and, uh, and so the app is super helpful. But most people t- tend to use YouTube. And then in terms of encouragement, uh, I already kind of gave you my encouragement for you. And I guess my encouragement for your listeners would be, um, I think, to follow your example. I, th- I think that uh, if, if you know, 70% of your audience are pastors, then I would just encourage those pastors um, to uh, not to do more, but to reach more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know to reach more, and to really consider reaching more on, under under the banner of a a ministry rather than just the church. I, I'll say it like this: I think with Driscoll, Mark Driscoll went wrong. Um, is franchising the church?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, I think like when when it, you know the multi-campus model. You know, which I would be against. And, I, I'm I'm so strict. I don't, like we won't even have multiple services. One service, <laughs> um, you know, because it's one ecclesia, one gathering, one church. Uh, but you know, but I think he he tried to franchise. And granted, yeah, he did, he had his resurgence um, ministry, you know, and, and other things. But in many ways, he he tried to um, to get more bang for buck. But at the local church level, and he franchised the church into multiple campuses and streaming and all those kinds of things. And I think in the end you know um, yeah i think he made some mistakes and, and yeah maybe there may have been, been some problems with his character but i think part of it was like at the end of the day his elders turned against him and maybe they were right in it but i think part of it was you had all these other guys who felt called to preach they're pastors they want to be pastors and you ultimately have like this other man who's mm-hmm. spiritually sleeping with their bride right they love their actual church mm-hmm. they're spending time with They're counseling them they're the ones to do you know Um, Mm -hmm. who are actually officiating their weddings and counseling them with their children, you know, praying for their sick children. And then, but then on Sunday morning, they sit down, you know, in the front row and another man comes in Mm -hmm. and steals the show. And I think, I, I think there was probably built up resentment from that, you know? And, uh, so anyways, I would say to, to your listeners, those who are ministers, um, who want to do more for the kingdom of God, do more for the kingdom of God. Um, but, but just recognize you don't have to do it all in the local church. What what you need to do in the local church is uh, is gather with the saints on the Lord's Day, rightly preach the Word of God, rightly administer the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism, and practice faithfully church discipline. There a church of God will exist despite its many faults. That's what you need to do with the church. You don't have to have a ton of ministries. You don't have to do this. You don't have to... You just... A robust Lord's Day, if you can, meet twice on the Lord's Day, and not with two separate groups of people, but the same church in the morning and in the evening. Give them twice as much preaching, administer the the you know the sacraments faithfully, those kinds of things, and, and practice church discipline with false converts, not weak converts. Do that, and any time you have beyond, beyond that, don't necessarily look to expand the church, but, but think of all the content that you're creating for the church. Can you put that under some other banner and some other vein that'll reach a whole other group of people. I think, I just think there's really something
0: to that. So. Awesome. Awesome, bro. I appreciate it to the bar listeners. Appreciate you guys listen to the bar podcast, your favorite podcast every Tuesday. Make sure you go to the bar Also pick up some bar gear, go to the dot We still have bar gear and um make sure you go to the bar Click on that network tab. Check out all the awesome podcasts on the network, as well as the, famous just thinking um by the time this episode dropped they will have dropped another episode i know it's been a while so uh we definitely want you to check that out and uh some more things that we have coming and until next time you guys god bless and we are out